Changelog Spotlight for Wednesday, November 18th, 2009. I'm Adam Stachowiak. And I'm Wynn Netherland. We've got a great show for you today. We interviewed Nathan Weisenbaum and Chris Epstein from Hamelsass and Compass fame. Since it is the first podcast, why don't we introduce ourselves, Adam? Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm Adam Stachowiak, as I said before. I'm a designer developer. I run a web development company called Handcrafted. You can check that out at gethandcrafted.com. I also produce a podcast called The Web 2.0 Show. You can check that out at web2oshow.com. And I'm also on Twitter, and I tweet as Adam, S-T-A-C. That's Adam Stack. How about you, Wynn? My name's Wynn Netherland, as I said. I'm a designer and developer, trying to figure out which. I've been doing this, I guess, since 1996. I think the... Uh, the way I got into this was Netscape Composer way back in the day. Hmm. So I've been at this quite a while. I blog at winnetherland.com. It's W-Y-N-N, Netherland, like the country, dot com. And uh, a tweet at Penguin, P-E-N-G-W-Y-N-N. So awesome. let's talk about Hamel, Sass, and Compass. Yes. I know you use these projects, as do I. Yeah. Been using Hamel for about a year and a half now. Sass for about... Nine months and Compass for about six. It's kind of hard to talk about any of them without talking about the other two. Yeah, it uh, sure is. Got a favorite? I I kind of take them all at once. But I you know I would use SAS and Compass without uh, Hamel as we do with you know with the WordPress Compass Jam. But um, yeah, I think all three at once is good. But the two independents are fine. Yeah, as I've told you before, I came for the Hamel and stayed for the SAS. Right. And talking to Nathan, you know, the the productivity gains are are linear with with Hamel and the way that you can craft some HTML markup pretty quickly. But with SAS, it's really exponential, and the the maintenance, uh, ease of use, and and just the performance gains you get as a as a developer using uh, using SAS. And then Compass kind of sits on top of that and really integrates a lot of the popular CSS frameworks and you can even roll your own framework and bundle up your own um, style sheets and patterns that you take with you from project to project and, and get some reuse across all your projects. It's an nifty project. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, well, one of my favorite things with, uh, with SAS really is being able to, to use mix-ins to abstract things out and not rely on, on you know, presentational-based selectors inside of my markup. I think the indentation kind of hard to get excited about white space, but the indentation and not having to repeat those uh, selectors, those parent selectors when you're writing CSS just saves a heck of a lot of time. Oh, yeah. A lot a lot of people, you know, really get excited about dropping the, the curly braces and the uh, the semicolons. That's okay for me, but it's that indentation that, that really saves me a lot of time. Yeah, it helps you organize things a lot better, I think. Absolutely. Yeah. And for, for Hamill, for me, like you'd mentioned productivity, but I think really it comes down to maintenance. Like uh, as a Rubius or a Rails guy, uh, working with uh, a Rails project, you jump into somebody else's ERB view and really just jump into a mess. Whereas with Hamel, you have some rules that you have to abide by. You know, it's white space aware, indentation provides the hierarchy, and that's what I, uh, you know, really cling to is the maintainability it allows me to to achieve. And when you hit that Command U and View Source, it's just absolutely gorgeous. The perfect oh. indentation. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, I guess we should probably uh, let uh, Nathan and Chris tell it best, huh? Let's get to it. All right. Go ahead and say hi. Hello, everybody. Hey. Hello. And we also have Nathan. What? How do How do I say your last name, Nathan? I'm sorry. Weisenbaum. Weisenbaum. Okay. That's right. Uh, 
and, and since this is sort of a a podcast on Hamill, Sass, and Compass, I'm not really sure where we should start, but uh, since I guess Hamill and Sass came first prior to to Compass, let's uh, let's maybe intro it with Nathan. Kind of tell us who you are, what you do. Uh, give us maybe a, a quick 30, 40 second intro of who you are. All right. Um, I'm a, a student at the University of Washington in Seattle, um, studying computer science and philosophy. I've been working on uh, open source software in Ruby for uh, a little more than three years now, and almost all of that time I've been uh, a developer on uh, Hamel and SAS. Um, I was uh, I think the first person to submit a patch to them when they were um, announced to the public uh, in uh, fall 2006 by Hampton Catlin, who's the original creator. Right. Um, Definitely a big shout-out to, to, to Hampton, too. He's awesome. Yeah, Hampton's great. Although he has a little trouble following up with the stuff he starts. <laughs> so uh, that's where I came in. Um, once he... Uh, finished with, with Hamill, um, he handed it over to me. Um, this was mm, three or four months after he started with Hamill. Um, how, how, it, old is, uh, how old is Hamill? Since maybe give a kind um, of a quick timeline to when, when this sort yeah, of happened. It was about, about three years old. Um, I think it was in development for a week or two before it was announced publicly. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, it was announced in, I think, uh, September 2006, um, when I started submitting patches. Um, in, I think, November, I, I took over the main development duties, um, and Hampton uh, went into a more design role. Um, then, I think, later in, in 2007, um, at some point, uh, Hampton uh, came up with, with SAS, um, which I then implemented. Um, and it's grown from there. Awesome. So when I was new to Ruby and Rails development, and I'm not sure how many of our um, listeners are going to be familiar with, with Ruby and Rails, but when uh, I started in Rails development, there was a lot of things that I thought were cool about Rails that I later found out we're just cool about Ruby. And so I came to SAS development through uh, Chris's project, Compass. And so as I dug into it, I found that a lot of um, what I thought was cool about Compass was really just SAS underneath the hood. Uh, Chris, why don't you tell us where Compass fits in to the, uh, the whole ecosystem and what it aims to do in extending SAS? Sure. Um, let me just uh, introduce myself a little bit. Yeah, I was going to say, we should probably <laughs> sure. Chris, because we totally went right from Nathan's <laughs> intro to, hey. <laughs> no, I, that's cool. Um, so I'm a software architect, uh, or the software architect at caring.com, which is a Ruby on Rails-based <laughs> website uh, for people who are taking care of their parents or loved ones who are uh, sick. And um, came to find Hamill and SAS um, when they were at the basically um, 2.0 mark. Um, <clears throat> and so I've been using them for about a year and a half now. Um, and as I was, uh, we were a blueprint site um, before we switched over to Hamill and SAS. And 
So it was very natural for me to want to port uh, Blueprint to SAS once we got over there. And, you know, Wynn's um, acknowledgement or recognition that um, everything cool about Compass is, is SAS is absolutely true. Um, I don't see Compass as being anything terribly special other than I was the first one to basically see the value that SAS provided uh, to a development approach and to a, a, a certain way of thinking about design um, that was new and unique. And I decided to lead the charge in that direction. Um, um, if, if I can butt in, I think you're being a little too modest, Chris, because <laughs> a lot of a lot of what, what makes SAS so cool, um, the new features in, in 2.2 were driven by what, what Compass um, wanted to do. So while, while that, that cool stuff is part of SAS now, Compass was um, a major force in causing that to happen. It's, it's definitely been this really interesting co-evolution. I, you know, I, I, I will admit that. Um, the, the concept for mix-ins already existed. I think that was a 2.0 feature. Um, and so when I saw mixins, I, it just blew my mind because like all of a sudden I have this new way of, of encapsulating patterns that I see in design all the time, but I don't have, but I hated the way that like blueprint especially would force me to put my presentation in my markup. Uh, I thought, I just felt that gave me such a fragile application that was hard to change and hard to manage. Right. That wasn't, uh, wasn't blueprint sort of what kicked it off you to start compass. Um, yes, I mean, I, so I started, I ported Blueprint over and you, you can kind of find a, an evolution, uh, of, of my thinking and, and my work. If you just look online, you can see there's a, um, Blueprint SAS project, which was just a simple port of Blueprint to SAS. And that definitely drove, um, SAS to have some new language features and iteration and variables and, or it had variables already, but it didn't, you couldn't put them anywhere like, for building your own selectors and things like that. Um, and so then, so, so I worked with Nathan to kind of develop a, some new syntax for um, expressing, you know, frameworks in SAS instead of just CSS in SAS. So when did you actually step into the mix with, uh, with Nathan in, in kind of co-developing SAS, the SAS part of, I guess, the Ham1 SAS gem? When did you step into into mix into the mix? Um, it's hard to say. It was kind of over time. Um, just I just kept submitting patches for things, and then once, um, but but I still Nathan still does you know a good majority of the development on SAS. I have my hands quite full with Compass, um, but I but definitely I, we work together on every new language feature that comes out, um, and talking about what the syntax should be and what the uh, APIs should be and things like that. Gotcha. So, um, oh, go ahead. Uh, go ahead, Nathan. If you got something to say, please go ahead. I was just going to say that I, I think you officially became uh, a member of the core team at the end of summer 2008. Does that sound right? Yeah, it's, it's probably been about a year. Um, Compass had been going for a while, that's for sure. Maybe. I've been working on on Compass in one form or another for probably six months. And now, Compass how many is, CSS frameworks are you guys supporting in the Compass project? In addition to Blueprint? Oh, geez. Um, there's 
Blueprint, YUI, and 960GS, and um, those are the ones that I've ported myself. Uh, and then there's a few more that have come out that have been uh, ported. I think the most notable one is the SUSE framework um, by the, the Meyer brothers. Um, and they've, they've done a great job building a, a very nice framework from the ground up uh, using um, thinking about Compass and, and about SAS and the features that per- provided there. Um, but I still don't think we've done a good job at describing uh, what Compass is. Uh, is so this kind of, I always have a hard time trying to describe it myself. <clears throat> I don't really know. I'm not really sure where SAS starts and Compass ends. I guess in some cases you do, but I often forget that you know, a mixing was uh, was you know a natural feature of SAS, but I, I I would just describe it as a feature of Compass, and I kind of because so, I'm sort of late to this game. I I hadn't been uh, I've been using SAS maybe I don't know maybe SAS, maybe six months nine months maybe. I would say that SAS ends where the project begins. Uh, so the SAS encapsulates the concepts that are that are within one file. Um, and even you know it does definitely allows you to import other SAS files and things like that. But um, Compass tries to give you a whole project management uh, set of tools, things that understand that you're not working on just CSS. You you have images and you have JavaScripts and you have HTML files and all these things have to work together. Um, and the other big aspect of Compass is you know it's exactly what I saw in the very beginning when I started working on this stuff, which was Hey, here's a here's a thing that's a language that lets me share um, CSS basically, and lets me share my style with other people. And um, so the vision of Compass from the very beginning was not just a framework for building your style sheets, but a framework for building frameworks for building your style sheets, and to create and foster an open source community within the design community. And so the feature sets that I've been working on and I'm most excited about are coming out in subsequent releases to really make it simple for designers um, to share their styles with each other and create plugins that are very simple to use and to share. Uh, that's that's actually you know what got me really excited about it. I didn't quite think about you know the whole packaging, the framework part of it up with Compass, but you know it's it's really cool because um, something that Wynn and I actually recently worked on, which was uh, called Compass WordPress. It's essentially just a a simple gem that uh, allows you to easily use Compass um, with with WordPress. And the simplest way, I guess, it does. Wynn, why don't you? Since you're more of the writer of it, I kind of handle a lot of the SaaS porting and stuff like that. But you really wrote those nitty-gritty pieces of the gym. Maybe just kind of quickly talk about that. It's really just a simple project template that you get out of the box with, with uh, Compass. Um, it's the Suzy framework that you mentioned earlier was a great uh, model for us to, to base it off of. But essentially, uh, we have a, a like for the thematic WordPress framework. And so when we tend to do WordPress development, we look at um, extending... WordPress by writing thematic child themes, and we thought, you know, there's some repetition that we're doing project to project, not only with uh, unfolding these themes, but unfolding the same basic styles, and Compass was just a great fit because it it plugged naturally into our workflow, 
to be able to generate these new themes and then have uh, Compass run in the background and compile our SAS style sheet. So it, it just worked out uh, great. And the cool thing about it, you know, there's there's no Ruby in the, uh, the WordPress project. Yeah, and that's the the Compass Watch feature uh, was a really a big win. Or no, sorry, not the yeah the Compass Watch feature was really a big win there because, um, you know, you can have like I think it was just awesome to to kind of decouple away from a Ruby based project and actually not have to have Compass you know auto compiling. I guess that's that's kind of a different thing, but um, the fact that it can actually work with just plain old standard HTML that's that's you know ingenious to be honest with you. Yeah, that was definitely another goal of the Compass project, which was, you know I identified quite early on there that uh, SAS was awesome and it deserved to live in any kind of project, not just work with uh, Ruby projects. Um, of course, if you're using a Ruby project, you're going to get better integration than you would have otherwise. But um, since SAS is a you know a build time compiled uh, kind of approach to building CSS. It can work with .NET. It can work with Python. It can work with WordPress. Uh, you know, whatever whatever it is that you're doing, you can build your style sheets using right. this new, more powerful syntax. Yeah, I love that flexibility. It's awesome. So we we have both you and Nathan on here, and and we asked we had a little side call earlier with Nathan, but I want to kind of pull that into the mix. And the question I asked Nathan, and he and he was you know really really passionate about talking about it was how you guys sort of worked together. You know, I, I wondered how much you and Nathan actually have to interact to, to keep the SAS Compass engine development, all that good stuff, rolling. Well, um, as, as Chris mentioned earlier, um, for any of the, the big language features, we, we talk about them, figure out what, what the syntax should look like, what the API should be, that sort of thing. Um, so... We both have a lot of input into how how the language evolves, um, because as part of developing SAS, we want to make it so that you know Compass can do what it does as as easily as possible. And also, I mean, we we spend a lot of time talking about well, how can we make stuff easy enough to use for designers? And I don't mean that um, in any sort of derogatory derogatory way, but um, designers aren't programmers and and we shouldn't think of of them as such and so we spend a lot of time wondering you know how do how do designers uh, approach certain problems and thinking about them and try to make the APIs meet them where they are instead of make them think like programmers yeah and uh, to that effect also we try to make the um, the tools for for dealing with compass and SAS accessible to people who who aren't programmers, who may not be using anything related to Ruby. Um, There's been sort of a struggle to, to convince people, no, you don't really have to have Ruby, know how to program in Ruby or be using Rails to, to deal with Compass and SAS. Um, like a lot of people present, um, present it as a, a Ruby CSS compiler or Ruby CSS framework, and that's not, um, that's not really accurate because it's, it's a, a CSS compiler that's implemented in Ruby, but it can be used anywhere. So we talk about how to how to make that use easier, um, how to how to sort of get the word out that it, it doesn't have to involve Ruby. That's a well at the at the heart of SAS. You have what is um, the SAS script? I guess that's that's probably the closest you get to delving into some programmatic kind of 
uh, I guess, philosophies in, in the SaaS in the SaaS part of it. Well, so I mean, there, so SaaS does have some ability to to do some programming um, built into the language, but it's not Ruby. Uh, the syntax actually um, has very little to do with Ruby at all. So it's just there. Um, I think we actually consider JavaScript more of the, at least I do, more of the an influencer for that language than anything else. So what are the, some of the, I guess, core things that, that SaaS script uh, allows you to do? Well, I mean, if you want to be very technical about it, SaaS script is only the portion of SaaS that, that gets evaluated when you have like an equal sign or you're assigning a variable to something. So it's, it's really just a way of concatenating together um, variables and modifying colors and stuff like that. So, I mean, that in itself can be reasonably powerful, especially like with Chris's um, Compass Colors plugin that allows you to do um, color theoretic manipulation to the, um, the the color object you have, and so say like make this color lighter or more saturated you know, make it change the hue, just this amount, that sort of thing. That's going to be merged into SAS for version 2.4. Um, and that's, that's really powerful. Um, it allows you to do themes and, and all sorts of color-related things that you couldn't do otherwise. I think there's a, another SAS plugin that uses that, something about buttons that allows you to create all sorts of cool-looking buttons. Um, uh, easily because it, it uses these colors, so that's that's, that's just powerful. Brandon Mathis made a uh, project called Fancy Buttons. It's on GitHub. <laughs> yeah, that's it. Yeah, I happened to had I had a chance when I was out at LessConf in Jacksonville, Florida, which was awesome. By the way, if, if you get if you uh, get a chance to go next year or even go on the Less Cruise, I would encourage you because uh, uh, our, my good friends at uh, Less Everything, Alan Branch and Stephen Bristol, really knocked it out of the park. But uh, I was there, um, and I and I ran into Brandon like ac- really accidentally. Actually, Alan introduced me to him, and uh, and I was you know, I just sort of got stuck talking to him about. I guess "stuck" is a bad word to use, but uh, we just sort of you know we sat there for probably an hour and a half, just literally chit chatting about how excited we were about SAS and Compass. Like literally, it was it was insane. So uh, wow. yeah, Brandon's a he's a he's a really smart guy. I like what he's done. Uh, I feel kind of like we've gone a little farther this, into this podcast without really properly introducing Hamel, SAS, and Compass. Do you feel like we haven't really properly introduced all of them? I'm not sure. It's a little hard to explain without um, without sort of putting them up in front of people because there there's so much so much of what they're about, especially for Hamel, is um, the the aesthetic, um, what they what they look like, and how it um, how it feels to work with them, but um, yeah, I, I'm not sure what a better way to introduce them would be. One thing to point out, I guess, is that uh, they are all white space aware languages or syntaxes, um, and so the the amount of indentation you've given your code matters. Uh, so, in Hamel, when you indent a tag. Under another tag, that's like that tag is is in, is embedded within the other tag, and outdenting um, will close the tag automatically. So you can't generate you know invalid um, HTML that way. Um, 
And SAS has the same concept. When you indent um, a selector within another selector, what you get is a nested selector. Um, now, CSS doesn't have such a concept, uh, so SAS uh, bridges that gap by generating another selector that includes the, the previous selector in its context. One thing that I like to do is show rather than than tell, especially with my designer friends that may not be that um, into the programming side of what Compass can bring to the table. And I think a lot of the success of Compass is what it's also done um, for the CSS frameworks that it supports. So CSS frameworks came onto the scene within the last uh, 18 months to two years ago. And there's initial excitement about them, but the, some backlash that I saw was the fact that um, a lot of people didn't like, as you mentioned earlier, Chris, of having to litter your markup with presentation details for things like you know grid eight, grid nine, or span eight, span nine, column eight, column nine, whatever your CSS classes happen to be. So what I like to do is, is just show my designer friends what Compass does and the fact that now you can take this, this grid framework use it in a semantic way because now you just mix those um, properties into your semantic um, selector and it removes a lot of the barrier to entry for folks to to really uh, jump into a CSS framework and begin to reuse some of their styles. Um, and then as we progress through the discussion, I usually show them that that's all powered by SAS under the hood. So perhaps you can talk about that if that's usually the uh, the number one selling feature of your framework? I hope it is. Um, what, I, what I like to imagine is that um, well, I think one of the biggest critiques that I, that I hear over and over again about SAS and about Compass is they're like, well, CSS is so simple. Why would, why would you need to make it more complicated? Right. You're just, you're just mix. You're just, you're just doing it because you're a programmer and you don't get it. And uh, and I, the problem is I do get it. I've maintained huge websites with huge amounts of CSS, and um, it's a pain in the ass. Well, Caring.com, do you, can you talk about how many, just quickly, how are you allowed to share how many visitors you guys get in a month? Um, Even estimates? No, I can't, I can't share that, but it's, okay. it's a considerable A number. lot, right? A lot. Enough. Yeah. Okay. And, I mean, but... The thing about startups, especially, I think, is um, your design changes, your um, your your understanding of the space changes so quickly, and you move so fast. And uh, the the tremendous value Caring.com has gotten from SaaS has been that um, what I used to think of as like style bleed, which is uh, because you you create some class and and you tend to share us. A style sheet across many different templates um, and now all of a sudden that class name you didn't quite mean it for it to be reused between two pages and but but it was natural to use that class name and now you've got styles mixing into other uh, classes incorrectly and and sas just makes it as easy to keep those things separate as it should be because you just indent and now you're fine and you can go overboard on this because there is some uh, CSS bloat and performance penalties to being too selective in your selectors, um, but it it's made um, our website, and I would hope that other people agree, um, just easier to maintain on a long time frame than than it would have been otherwise. So a sure sign of of success by both of uh, these projects uh, is the rise of alternatives out there. So 
in a uh, civil way, I'd like to discuss uh, some, maybe <laughs> some distinctives between Compass and SAS and other frameworks like LessCSS and XCSS, if you guys want to speak to that for a moment. Sure. Well, um, so SAS is white space aware syntax, which is rather different from, from the CSS syntax on the surface, um, arose because um, it was it was the sister project to Hamel, which was white space aware and which was focused on uh, improving the aesthetics of uh, of writing HTML. So originally, SAS was focused on the same thing for CSS, making it uh, prettier, um, and uh, it was focused on a certain a certain sort of people who found this, this indented um, white space aware <coughs> syntax prettier, and that was fine, but. As SAS grew, um, it became focused more and more on these ideas of abstraction, of making it easier to generate more complicated CSS without having to make the, the source um, complicated. Um, and uh, I think the fact that other, um, other CSS generators are popping up all over the place now, I think they're maybe a dozen of them at this point uh, that I've heard of. Um, the, it, it, um, it speaks to the, the power of the, and, and the utility of the idea of, um, of abstracting your style sheets because what these other um, uh, uh, compilers offer is um, the same sort of abstraction that PATH does without the, the syntax, because a lot of people don't like the syntax. Um, in fact, I think the less about page states that explicitly. Um, it has a section, why not SAS? And the answer is the syntax. So um, I think the, um, the fact that there are so many other, um, uh, I suppose, competitors out there um, says that um, the idea of, of making abstractions for style sheets is important and useful. Um, the fact that they almost to a one use um, curly braces uh, and semicolons rather than indentation um, suggests that uh, a lot of people prefer it that way, which is why in, in SAS 2.4 we're going to um, uh, support a syntax um, that is a superset of CSS for people who are more comfortable with that. Um, I think another important thing that um, these other uh, compilers have to offer is um, different takes on this idea of, of CSS inheritance, which I think Chris um, knows more about than I do. And that's a segue, I guess. Um, <laughs> Go, Chris. <laughs> well, I, I wrote a blog post about it uh, on on my blog, chrisepstein.github.com, where I talk about uh, how how inheritance, what it is, how it works. Uh, it's basically this concept that you can have a CSS <coughs> class that inherits from another CSS class, and, and wherever you would refer to that class, uh, it would... Um, kind of automatically adjust your your style sheet selectors to match um, 
And it's, it's, it's kind of an, it's a really obvious idea if you see it. And there's some great examples in my post and it's, it's pretty, I don't think this is a good place to explain it, but, um, uh, Nicole Sullivan of the OOCSS project, uh, is leading the charge on trying to get people to adopt this object oriented approach to CSS. And the thing that she and I both agree on is that it really needs to be in the browser, um, for it to be effective. Uh, it's just, there, there are too many edge cases where it falls apart either by forcing leaky abstraction. If you don't, without the browser support, you have what's what I consider to be a leaky abstraction because everywhere you put the class, you also have to put all of the base classes on your, in your markup. And that's just really awkward. All right. Um, so, sorry, go ahead. uh, That's all right. Um, but I wanted to go back a little bit to the syntax issue. So, so I want to tell a little story. It's Let's rewind about four years ago, maybe four and a half. Um, I was in the market for a new programming language, and I wanted to learn a new scripting language. I had been mostly programming in Java at the time. And I knew that uh, Python and Ruby were these two languages that were hot on the market and... Um, and there were probably I was going to I was really trying to decide between one and the other, um, and I so Python was weird because it was white space aware and that was like ridiculous, um, and Ruby was horrible because it used begin and end um, all over the place and I hated seeing all the that verbosity, um, and in the end of the day what I ended up deciding to do was. Uh, learn Python, but I was going to write a pre-compiler so I could write all my Python with curly braces and then translate it into Python with whitespace. Um, so me and a buddy worked on that project for a while, and then we gave up because what we found out was in like a day of programming in Python uh, that it didn't matter. Um, the whitespace actually was nice because I was indenting anyway. And um, But the, the, end, the other interesting thing that I wanted to point out about that whole thing was I ended up picking Python over Ruby, and the reason was I was like, well, if there's two things I don't like about a syntax, I should at least pick the one that had less typing. Um, but these are just completely inane reasons for picking languages. Um, Ruby offers like crazy concepts that Python doesn't offer, and I just didn't even think about that when I was picking my language. I looked at this as- these aesthetic issues, and I made a decision based on those, not based on the power that the language provided. And I get it. Like, I've, I've been there. I've made that mistake. Um, and the reason that you see SAS moving in the direction of allowing other syntax options is that it shouldn't be an issue for people, that if people want to use a better syntax, I still think that the white space aware syntax of SAS is better. It's less typing and it's more readable. Um, then you should be allowed to do that. But we don't want it to be a stumbling block for people. Um, we want them to discover the power of abstraction and see how it can make their life simpler. Right. So you're saying that uh, this this more CSS-like syntax is not going to use the whole white space aware indented model? Uh, is that what I've heard? Did I... What we're thinking right now, um, and this isn't what we thought originally, but um, uh, Chris was uh, pushing for this pretty hard, and um, I think it, it's probably the right way to go um, at this point, is um, that we'll have two, two separate syntaxes, one of which is a superset of CSS and one of which is 
white space aware, although we may make the white space aware <coughs> one a little more CSS-like in a few certain ways. Um, and the reason for that is that, uh, well, partly it's just that there are some uh, serious problems with ambiguities once you uh, start having um, a syntax that's supposed to be both white space aware and completely compatible with um, a non-white space aware syntax. Um, that's because uh, we would want to be both backwards compatible both with SAS and CSS. And that, that just presented too many parsing difficulties, figuring out what the comment and where the comment ends and where the, the selector ends and stuff like that was, um, I mean, it wasn't possible to do it completely accurately all the time, which meant we would have had to guess, and then inevitably that guess would have not been what someone was expecting at some point. So. You know, that's a good uh, segue into talking a, a bit about how, as community leaders, you guys um, take feedback from your users, because I assume, Nathan, you've got a community that exists outside of the Compass project, and, and uh, Chris, you've got uh, feedback coming from, from users of your framework. How do those get called into lists of features that uh, ultimately make it into the project? Hmm. Well, I mean, in general, if, if anyone suggests the feature to me on the mailing list or over I am or even in person if I'm going to a conference or something. Um, you know, if it, if it makes sense and, well, I'll give it a good chance to get it right. Um, there, there are a lot of times when, when people suggest features, especially for Hamel, but also sometimes for staff, um, that are sort of additions to the syntax for very specific issues, uh, like rendering in a certain way, and most of the time for that I say, make it a helper. Um, it, it, because, I mean, making the syntax more complicated is just adds, adds stuff for people to learn. Um, so whenever possible, um, I try to let things be implemented as um, as helpers. Um, for staff, that doesn't happen quite as much, um, possibly because the people coming into it aren't programmers. I mean, often people will just ask, like, can I have this this extra option or, you know, can this behavior be tweaked? And sometimes it's not backwards compatible, so I have to say, no, even if it might have made sense at the beginning, there have been a, a few times like that. But I think most of the time, um, when when someone uh, wants a feature, it it gets in because I mean a lot of most of the time it's it's just not very hard to add. Um, I think uh, I'm tooting my own horn here a little, but I think the code bases are reasonably well organized, or at least I know where everything is. So um, uh, making making small behavior changes um, when they make sense. Uh, it's pretty straightforward. Yeah, I would um, agree. Like, I would say that um, Nathan and I are both pretty obsessive about our uh, user support habits, um, and and I think that's pretty important uh, to having a successful project. Um, 
you know, I'm, I'm relentless about checking for people talking about it on Twitter. And I, um, I really want people to, to give me feedback all the time. And, um, and I think it's important to, uh, respond quickly. Um, and I think Nathan, Nathan is actually a bit of my, my idol in this respect. Um, cause, uh, I have a day job, um, and he, he just has to go to school. I just has to go to school. <laughs> Um, but you know, the other day I think someone asked for a feature for Hamill and, and he had it, uh, built and, and shipped and on the master branch within like a few hours or something. Um, so that's the kind of like superior, uh, user support that, uh, that you can get from great projects like Hamill and SAS and Compass. You also have a family too, right, Chris? Yeah, I have a, a wife and a daughter of who's four years old. Yeah, so that must mean that, you, you know, you have even less time for... But it takes more of your time away from them having to be this relentless person and obsessive, as you mentioned. Yeah, it's a it's a real balancing act. I have, uh, I I I kind of tend to balance it through a, a cyclical aspect, where um, you know sometimes one of the three or four aspects of my life is getting starved, um, and then you know, but not for very long, and then I move to the next one. Right. Uh, as opposed to trying to keep everybody happy all the time. So both projects have a, let's say, a fairly active um, mailing list, and those are hosted on Google Groups. What's uh, what's your experiences with uh, with using that, and how does it help you maintain the community? Um, is that sort of the, the core area where the community is maintained, or is it kind of spread across various social networks and the, the lists? Well, as far as the, the actual you know, very active communities for Hamill and, and Seth and Compass, too. I think they, they mostly revolve around um, the mailing list. Um, I mean, there's also the IRC channel, um, and where people tend to come for help. Um, there, there are all sorts of avenues where people will um, will ask for help, and part of the, the difficulty of um, making, of, you know, trying to, to keep up this um, good user responsiveness is paying attention to the blogs and Twitter and Stack Overflow and the IRC um, and just anywhere people might say, ah, Hamill's being bad or Sassy's being bad. But um, the the Google group is where most of the development takes place and or the the you know the community interaction and that works pretty well. I think um, John Resig had a blog post uh, a couple weeks back about problems with Google Groups, with spam and stuff like that. That's definitely an issue. Um, Chris and I have to go through and clean up spam from the, the pending list every day or so. That's kind of an odd problem for Google Groups to have, right? Because yeah, Gmail, it's, Google it's Apps, really the whole mailing thing has such awesome support for spam. Yep. Yeah, it's it's ridiculous. If you guys have, you have no idea how much spam, if you're on either of those mailing lists, I keep you from seeing well, yep. thank you very much. For, seriously, I I I think that it's even with a blog too. If you see spam comments, it's it's just a sign of a bad maintainer, and it really, it's you know, it should be a software that solves that problem. And it's really sad to see that as an issue. Yeah. Um, another thing about uh, you know building community, I um, it's it's actually still a work in progress. I would say I think SaaS uh, especially is still. Um, quite young as a technology, 
and it's still maturing in this respect. And, um, it, you know, in many of these projects I see form, especially Ruby projects, because uh, the Ruby community is so great at um, using and contributing back to open source. I see them, you know, one developer gets out ahead and builds something great and then 50 developers contribute and you have this awesome project with tons of features in like no time flat. Um, the it's been a more of a challenge for me with Compass because my target users are not the programmers who can um, actively contribute. And so uh, I, I've been just doing most of the work myself. Um, you know, I, a lot of the style changes, I leave the style sheets for the most part to the community because that's what they're great at. And frankly, it's not my, my strongest suit. I understand CSS and browser quirks and things like that, but building, I'm not a designer, I'm a programmer. Um, and so, you know, I, I'm always open for new suggestions about how Compass and SAS can grow as a community. And I hope uh, that the listeners of this podcast will um, jump onto the mailing list and make suggestions for how we can do a better job at fostering community. Yeah, absolutely. We'll definitely include links in, uh, in what we'll call show notes, essentially. So we'll have links out to both your guys' blogs. If uh, Nathan, do you run a blog? If you do, yeah. I, don't, I don't think I read uh, it. Yeah, it's, it's next-3.com. Okay, all right. So, uh, yeah, I'm, that's kind of crappy that I don't even read your blog. My bad. But we'll definitely have links to the uh, the groups and also the, the, you know, we'll link out everywhere we need to, put it that way. Twitter, all that good stuff. So we were talking about community, I guess, then. In what ways do you guys work together to, to kind of foster community? And in what ways do you reach out and try to grow the community? Twitter and GitHub have really been the two um, most important technologies for for me. I think um, the you know I've been relentless about you know checking Twitter and replying to people on Twitter and trying to make it easy for people to contact me and get feedback about stuff. Um, but GitHub was was critical in the very very early days of Compass where I. Um, you know, I didn't actually set out to build what I what I built. I, I started out to build a little simple set of SAS files. I just wanted to share some SAS files, um, and it just I didn't have a good way of doing that, and so everything just evolved out of that. But I I didn't even know you know I wouldn't have put all the time and effort into it if it wasn't for the really easy feedback ne- mechanisms that GitHub provided. Um, first and foremost, I think I had 20 watchers of Blueprint, C- Blueprint SAS, um, which is the first kind of iteration of, of Compass, um, within like a week. And you know, I had probably released 20 projects before that, and none of them had ever topped 10 watchers. Um, and so the, the very nature of, of the demand from users was able to kind of give me that immediate feedback about hey, this is maybe where I should spend some of my efforts if I really want to have a, an open source project that's successful. Yeah, I think the, um, the ability to get feedback from uh, the users is really important because a lot of what drives, um, at least for me, what drives my desire to contribute to open source is the idea that I'm, I'm helping people and I'm you know, making people happy with the stuff I, I do. Um, and early on when I was just beginning to contribute to um, to Hamel and Sass, and I was 
um, just beginning to, to be the lead developer on them, I, uh, I, the, the fact that people kept saying, this is really cool, I'm glad you're doing this, that sort of um, made, it, uh, made it so much fun to, to work on these things, rewarding. Um, and I think, uh, as, as Chris said, GitHub uh, and Twitter do a, a good job of, um, of helping you see uh, people who are, who are using your, your code and enjoying it. Um, I think one thing, going back to, to your original question about um, what, what we're doing to help the community, um, I think one thing that helped um, a good deal was creating a SaaS website. Um, before uh, before 2.0 was released, sorry, 2.2 was released, um, uh, all there was was a Hamel website that, if you dug deep enough, mentioned some things about SaaS. And that was, that was not a, a good way to be um, in terms of uh, making SaaS visible. Um, so for, for 2.2, I put up um, a SaaS website, which mirrors the Hamel website with different colors, a new logo, that sort of thing. Um, and I think that, that's helped um, put SaaS out there more in, in the public eye and as something that's distinct from Hamel as well. Um, and that you know, it gives people something to link to. It gives them um, uh, a place that, that says, Here's where where different aspects of the community are. Here's the mailing list where you can talk about the IRC, where you can ask Thanks, for help, Eddie. that sort of thing. I think that's that's helpful. Yeah. Speaking of websites, the Compass website is atrocious. And uh, we need to change that. Well, well, here's what gets me. We've we had some chat on the the mail list. Uh, geez, like summertime. Yeah. And. We had screencasts being prepared, and we had a website being designed. You know, forgive me if I sound like I'm yelling about it because I actually haven't stepped up and said, "Hey, I'll help too." But I, I certainly would. But what's going on? I'll, I'll take some blame as a as as a failure to lead. Um, frankly, uh, the, the 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 next big release of Compass is going to be so different. Um, the command line tools are, are dramatically easier to use and have different uh, syntax options and things like that. And, um, and even some of the main libraries have been reorganized. And, and so I haven't been eager to push for documenting and building out websites uh, that before, before I felt like the tool was quite up to snuff. Uh, and so, um, and, the, and this release has just taken a little bit longer than I would have liked. Um, so, when I think what, I, what you'll see is I'll, I'll step up and start really pushing that development um, in the coming months after I get this next release out. Uh, and, and then I'll have more time to devote to the website as opposed to the, the code. And, and, you know, again, it's just simply because I'm just time limited. I don't have enough resources. Well, of course, yeah. I mean, you have, a, you have a day job. You have a family. I mean, if and, people and, were to step up and start, you know, building, building websites for me, I wouldn't, I wouldn't stop them. Okay. For those of you that are new to the project, uh, the website is compass-style.org. And uh, if you click the learn link, it takes you to the wiki over on GitHub. And that's the primary resource for the project right now. And uh, you might want to 
mark off a couple of days on your calendar and just <laughs> peruse those documents yeah. because it's a lot of good stuff in there. Not only that, but also pull down the gem and just you know do something I didn't do, which is what you immediately do, in which is just dive right into the actual gem code and look at all the various um, frameworks that are, that come as part of Compass and learn what mixins are naturally there and available to you. Like I had. I was an idiot, and I went and recreated the the float mix, and I went and recreated stuff that was already part of Compass because I was <laughs> I didn't do my due diligence. Is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, and it's and it's hard because I think uh, Compass is is um, woefully under documented, um, and so it's it's hard for you to know that that stuff isn't there. And we, you know, I, I really hold a like the prototype website up as far as a a beacon of uh, great documentation because uh, they have a lot of the same audience target um, and so I think we can definitely do better there um, gotcha. and and I hope I hope that we will soon I've been thinking about how to approach that problem it's it's hard to document um, SAS it's they for the prototype project they had to build their own source code documentation tool just so they could document JavaScript um, and so we've been thinking whether well, we have to do something like that for SAS as well yeah well um, something that you with that comes along with the website too is this whole notion of sharing extensions, and so I, I guess the the dreamer in me, uh, you know, wants to see, you know, shared extensions. Like I, when I gave a small presentation at um, at uh, uh, Board Camp Jackson, in Jacksonville uh, just after LESCONF, and you know, I had this idea that that well, it wasn't my idea, of course, but I had this notion of saying, much like Apple says, there's an app for that. That there will be an extension for that. Like if you have a need for a certain kind of navigation system or navigation styles, that you'll see an extension for that, and possibly even, like you said before, touch on delivering HTML files too, or any other necessary files. Much like the extension side for Radiant CMS or the Spree e-commerce project, it'd be nice to be able to pull down these extensions and have some sort of repository to to pull them from. Yeah. Yeah. That's- so uh, definitely, uh, my my plan is. Uh, to build a um, an extension um, repository on the Compass website, um, and and allow it as a the central uh, kind of place to get a list of what's available and how to make sure you can download it and things like that. Uh, and the Compass command line tool will in- interface with that seamlessly. Gotcha. Is there anything else you guys want to make sure we hit before we before we wrap? I guess there's a lot of cool stuff coming in in. Task 2.4. Um, I think not just new syntax stuff, but um, we're hoping to get optimization in there um, so that the, the produced CSS will be uh, a little less bloated. Okay. Uh, Chris? Definitely uh, just would love to see um, you know more community. I think that's for, for the thing that gets me excited about Compass and SAS is just uh, that I think we're we're approaching an open source ecosystem for for design, and I've you know I've never seen that before. Maybe else, maybe someone else has seen it, but um, that's you know I'm I'm an open source geek through and through, and I love I would love to see that um, the, the huge wins that come from having that ability to stand on the shoulders of giants in open source um, come to design. Yeah. So one one last question for you both, and this is to put you on the spot, but other than your own projects, and I'm going to pick on Nathan first, what open source project out there excites you the most? 
Oh, geez, excites me the most. Um, I'm really excited by what's going on with LLVM, um, the the idea of a of a standard compiler backend. Um, strikes me as very cool. A lot of the the front ends that are being developed for that promise to make um, uh, working on compilers easier than it was with GCC, which I think is a, also a great piece of software, but um, is getting old and somewhat crusty. Um, yeah, I, I like a lot of what's been going on with the open source browsers, Chrome, um, Firefox, uh, just towards um, the making making the web better, supporting HTML5, making JavaScript faster, that sort of thing. Uh, that's, that's really exciting, just in a sort of broad sense. Awesome. Both good ones. Chris? Um, the one project that has had me most excited lately is uh, the Cucumber testing framework, um, which for people who aren't familiar with it allows you to write kind of text files that describe how your project should work and then map those to um, code that runs to make sure your project works that way. Um, and, you know, for people who are into test-driven design of their software, um, you know, they've been singing the praises for years and years of uh, that you should be testing your code before you write it. And I'll just be real honest with you. I found it cumbersome and painful. Um, and and so I, did, I just have never been able to get behind test first, even though I wanted to do it. I just couldn't get my head quite into the right frame of mind. Um, but with Cucumber, finally I'm in, in this great place where I can write, I can describe what I want my project to do without needing the level of detail that the code uh, forces me into. So it's a really great project, and I would uh, encourage you guys if you can add a link in the show notes to that one. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. All right, I, uh, uh, you know, me and Win are both big fans of, of what you guys are doing. We use your software every day. We're huge, huge, huge evangelists of it. So I will personally, and I'm sure Win will echo the same thing, that we'll, we'll do everything we possibly can to to continue to evangelize about Hamel, SAS, and Compass and what they're doing for front-end development. I think that, uh, you know, for me, moving from as a, as a Rails, uh, Rails front-end guy for a little while there, um, working with ERB, moving to him, it was you know night and day difference. Uh, jumping from CSS to using SAS, and then obviously uh, putting Compass on top of that, and the, the features that come with that was just amazing. It's like literally changed the way I design. So uh, I'm really thankful for all the time and effort that you guys put into the projects, and whatever we can do will help. Awesome, thank you. Well, thank you guys for coming on the show. Thank you for having us. Thank you for listening to this edition of Changelog. Be sure to tune in weekly for what's fresh and new in open source. Also visit changelogshow.com for links in the show notes or to leave a comment on the show. Thank you for listening.